We've been in a series titled Aftermath. And the reason we titled it Aftermath is because of the fact after we mess up, after we, we've blown it. And growing up, I messed up a great deal, and some of the overwhelming feelings that came over me were feelings of guilt and shame. Now, guilt told me what I did wrong, and shame told me there was something wrong with me. Feeling that way, I never wanted to go home. I didn't want to face the music or punishment or look into the eyes of someone I disappointed. So in my mind, and I got this from the little rascals, I thought it was better that I stayed away. I even concocted a plan to sneak into the house, grab some canned goods, some clothes, and kind of run away. Avoidance is a defense mechanism, but it's also a trap. After we mess up, the voices come, and they tell us we are a bad person. They remind us of what has been said throughout the years, those words that make us feel less than. And that's how I felt when I messed up. I wonder if you had a similar experience in your life, maybe in your marriage, those moments where you and your spouse are not remembering your vows or with a friend or children where you felt things should be better, but they're not. In this series, we have not only been talking about God's love, but also about his grace. And that when you mess up, when you don't hit the mark, just know that you don't run from God, you run to him. That was what we heard the first week. The second week, we heard that when we're confronted with what you've done, you don't look for someone to blame or try to explain it away. We see that in David's life, and we own it. We take responsibility for what we've done. I want to pause here for a moment because the last thing I want to encourage is for you to live so close to the edge with your behavior and your emotions that if you fall, there's no room for recovery. So although we're talking about when you mess up, we're not encouraging you to mess up. We simply just know that there's going to be moments where you're not going to hit that mark, where you're going to mess up, where you're going to stray. You see, sin always promises more than it gives, takes you further than you wanted to go, and leaves you worse than you were before. Many times when we mess up, when we blow it, at least for me, fleeing was a lot easier. Thinking that everyone would be better off without you becomes a real good decision. But it isn't. And I want, if anything, this morning as we close out this series is to make it crystal clear that when we blow it, when we mess up, come home. Come home. Don't stay alone. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 7, it says, God says, return to me, and I will return to you. We will all go through these times in our lives. We will make a mistake, and it's in those times that we need to be reminded that there is a place, there is a person, there is a community, and a fellowship, and a fellowship that will welcome us back. Or how? What would it be like if we were that place? Those people, that community, that when someone messed up or just blew it, that we would be the place or person they would remember a time in their lives when things were better, when you experienced love, a place that was better than where you currently are. 
in the text we're about to look at, God addresses this very situation. He uses a parable spoken by Jesus to paint a picture of restoration to those who mess up. Now, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus spoke a great deal using parables. He gathered people around them and, you know, he kind of used stories to kind of get them to get drawn in and say, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I know that. And in prior parables in the same chapter, there's this progression that God does. He goes from this 100 to this 10 to this 1. And in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, you don't have to stand up. I'm just going to read through it. It says, we see how we leave 99 to go after one. That's a story where he has, and, and then he, you know, one goes and he goes after it. And in Luke chapter 15, verses 8 to 10, we see the urgency of trying to find a lost coin, despite the fact that you had nine others. In these two parables, the focus is on lost sinner and the celebration that happens about it being found. In the parable we're about to read, God focuses on the individual who once believed but has messed up. Now in Luke chapter 15, 11, 24, that's our text. We normally stand here, but today I want you to come with me on a journey. I want you to walk into this story like you never had before because we've heard this story so many times and oftentimes with the word of God what we do is we kind of skirt over. It's almost like fast forwarding a movie and get to the good part. This is not a moment for us to fast forward. So in your minds, I need you to slow down. I need you to listen to this text, and I need you to translate yourself into this story. I need you to become that son, the prodigal son, because this is the story of the prodigal son. And why? Why do you have to listen? It's because the lesson here will save your life. You see, there's going to be a moment, as much as I don't want it to, as much as the leadership and this church and God doesn't want you to mess up, chances are you will. But there is a life that God wants you to live. And we want you to know that that life cannot be lived apart from him. This parable found in Luke chapter 15 is the parable of the lost son, and it reads as follows. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back. Somebody say, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your highest servants. So he got up and went to his father. But he was still a long way off. His father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. 
The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven, against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. This young man had messed up on so many different fronts, it's impossible to even think someone can mess up this badly. First, he became extremely dissatisfied with the provision of his father's home. On top of that, somehow he caught a glimpse of what it was like to live life apart from his father. He had probably traveled into the city and caught a glimpse of what it looked like, and everybody was kind of partying and having a good time, and oftentimes that's the way it is. We see the party, but not the consequences afterwards. And then he went even further, and he said, Dad, you know, I I want my money. I want what's coming to me. I want my inheritance. Now, inheritance is something you get after someone passes away, so he literally was wishing for his father to be dead. And an inheritance was not only that, but also it was his father saving and working hard to provide for his future, his children's future, his home, his marriage. So here we see what God does, how he instructs us. He reminds us that when I mess up, there is a road back to a place where restoration is possible. Now, growing up, I messed up a lot more often than often. And there were two women in my life that always made me feel better than my mess-ups. And I believe it is so apropos on this day to speak of this because I believe that mothers are not only graceful, but vessels that dispense grace. First, there is my mother, who for some reason embraced motherhood with the understanding that she would suffer Somehow, it never hindered her from being the most loving person I knew. She never hung a do not enter sign on her door. She was always quite welcoming, even with my hand in the cookie jar. She always stood up for me, always looked out for me. But she always gave me this look, you know, the look moms give you. Right? And not that I get you later look. You know, that's a different look. But the look she gave me kind of told me, I know you did it. I don't condone it and I taught you better, but you're still my son. Now, I can't put into words except to kind of take you to moments like that where I messed up and my mom kind of looked at me that way like I wasn't getting over on her. But I was her son. And this unconditional love that she showed me, it moved me to become more responsible in this relationship. I didn't want to hurt her anymore. I didn't want to hurt the one who loved me so much. And then there was my grandmother, who for serious infractions of the criminal type, I I was sent to her. 
she lived in Puerto Rico, and, and she took a different approach. And she would hoot, and she would holler, and she would tell me about myself and where I was going to wind up if I kept on this kind of behavior, and if I didn't want a better life. And as I stood in that chair, like shrinking, with every kind of reverberating sound that she made, because she was a big woman. Big woman. She wore these batas. Anybody remember those batas? Like, right? She wore, and she wore socks with her sandals around the house. Right? It's like 90 degrees in Puerto Rico and she's still wearing them, right? But then she did the oddest thing. In the midst of that, she would put out her arms. And she would call me to her and give me this huge bear hug. I think she was trying to suffocate me, though. <laughs> and as she hugged me like that, she would ask me my name. In Spanish, she would say, ¿Qué es tu apellido? And once I answered, she would tell me now, go take a shower. Get something to eat and go to sleep. And what I had done was never mentioned again. I had messed up, I had blown it. And she still was concerned about whether I ate, whether I smelled good, or whether I was rested. I believe for centuries God has used women to dispense this thing called grace, this unmerited favor that we can't earn. I could never fix it undo what was done or work for it. But I was reminded by my mother that I was a son. And I was reminded by my grandmother that I belonged to a family. So when you mess up, remember that you're a son and that you're a daughter of the Most High and that you belong to this family called Christian. So no matter where you go, no matter how far you wind up, no matter how much you stray, no matter how much you messed up, remember to come home. And in coming home, what I expected, what I thought I deserved didn't happen. If I would have believed the lie that no one cared, that my presence didn't matter, I may have stayed out longer and suffered needlessly. Isn't that what we hear sometimes? As in our story, I'm not worthy. Oh, when I go back, they're going to look at me a particular way. They're going to start poking fingers. They're going to tell you, I told you so. But grace is not earned. It's given. And in verse 17, we see this play itself out. It says, when he comes to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants had food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I would set out and go back. Somebody say, go back. go back. To my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Now this, he had a different idea. He was rehearsing this before he even said it. He thought he would earn grace. He thought he would go back home and negotiate his surrender. 
He thought he would come back and say, you know what? I'm not worthy to, to be sitting here. I'll sit all the way in the back. I'm not worthy to be even looked at. You can hide me in the corner. He was trying to negotiate his surrender, and he was rehearsing what he would say. You know the stories you can cut when you're trying to get back. Some of you get extremely creative flowers and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, but grace is not earned. It is given. Look to your neighbor and say, you can't earn it. It is given. And in this story, we see the graciousness of the father overshadowing the sinfulness of the son. And it is the memory of father's goodness that brings the prodigal son to repentance when he remembers how good his father was, how good his father is, how good he had it in the house. He was like, oh, man, I got to go back home. What am I doing here? I'm slopping with pigs. And by the way, he was a Jewish boy and pigs and Jews just don't mix. So that's where he had gotten down to. Now, 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 again, I've been with my pigs. I don't know your pigs. But I've been to that place of degradation. I've been to that place of, of almost inhuman behavior. Like I said, I messed up more often than often. But I had some people in my life that when everybody else was pointing a finger, when society was telling me, you're no good, you're worthless. You're still my son. You're still part of this family. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? So come home. Don't stay alone. In the aftermath of your wreckage, remember the Father's kindness. Remember what it was like before your fall and come home. In Revelations chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, when he writes a letter to one of the churches, he reminds them of this. He says, you have forsaken the love you had at first. This young man began to love other things more than the provision of his father's house. How good he had it. And some of us have a tendency of doing that. Some of us get caught up thinking the grass is greener on the other side. Some of us think that we're going to go out for a little while and then get back. Some of us think nobody will know. Nobody will find out exactly what I'm doing or how I'm doing it. He goes on to say, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. It's important to understand something, that the response you have when you mess up is critical to how you get through it. Some of us are going to wind up staying in a place longer than we need to. We wind up running from God, and we know already we don't run from God, we run to him. We don't look to blame somebody, the woman you gave me, the job you gave me, you made me this way, it was her fault, therefore, we stand still and we just own it. You know, my back. It's not like you're catching God by surprise. It's like he didn't know you were going to do it. But, but you got to come to that place where you understand that he is better. you got to understand that what he has to give you, what he has to offer you, is far greater than anything else you will pursue on your own. This young man pursued a life of pleasure. 
And pleasure is like that. Pleasure doesn't let you see the consequences. It kind of, you know, pulls that little card trick on you. Hey, find the card, find the card. And you get caught up and you're doing it, and then all of a sudden you're all feeding pigs in places you said you would never go. But look at the Father's response, which is, listen to me, this is symbolic of God's response toward you and me. In other words, our response has always been to run away, be irresponsible, stay away, not show up. And God is saying to us in this series that we've been doing is that don't, don't, don't run from me, run to me. Don't, don't blame anybody else, own it. That's what John first, you know, 1-9 says. It says to confess our sins, to, to come to him and own it and, and say, man, I did this. It was me, God. Because grace is not earned, it's given. And coming home just allows you to allow God to do what he does best, which is to clean you up and put you on display again, to restore you. Can I tell you that imagery of my mother and my grandmother, who my grandmother's gone to be with the Lord, and, and, and my mother's still around, Mom, and if you're watching this, I love you. I, I, I cannot express that to you anymore. I spoke to her this morning, me and my wife in the car on the way here. <laughs> Because I found out somebody gave her a gift of uh, a bottle of wine. And I was like, Ma, you know, you're not supposed to be drinking. And, and, and <laughs> she was like, no, no, I'm going to make a ponche. You know what I mean? <laughs> I said, Ma, you're supposed to use grape juice with the eggs. So I, I told her, I said, Ma, you're not supposed to be doing that. And she says, hey, stop it. I'm the mother. You're the son. I said, yeah, but it's still wine, Ma. <laughs> Here we see the father's response to the son. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. His father's response is demonstrating that grace is not earned, it is given. And I can only imagine as he ran up to his son and, and his son and they met and he hugs him and he kisses him and he puts his arm around me that the son now, you know, he had rehearsed this line of trying to negotiate his surrender. So, so hell, he's getting ready to say something and, 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 his, and his father says, no, 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 don't say anything. Puts his hand over his mouth and says, no, 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 no. He says, Dad, but I got to tell you. I said, no, 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 no. I killed the fatted calf. I had a robe made. I've been polishing up this ring and I've been lacing up these sandals. And sitting, sitting on this porch, looking and waiting for you to come home. His son's trying to talk to him. He said, no, 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 listen. This day, I've been waiting for this day. I've been waiting for this day for you to come home. Everybody told me you were dead, but I didn't believe it. Unless I have a body, I don't believe it. Everybody told me I was never going to see you again. But every day, I went into the field and I fatted up that calf 
This is for my son when he comes back. I had them knit that robe and put it together, make sure according to your size. I polished up that ring. And I made sure the finest leather was made for those sandals, because when you came home, we're going to celebrate. You see, my mother reminded me that I was a son. My grandmother reminded me that I was part of a family. And listen, we're going to mess up. I don't know about you, but I probably messed up two days ago. And, and there are levels of messing up. Right? People think, oh, that's not too bad. Listen, if you said something that was inappropriate, you messed up. And coming home is not necessarily a physical location, but coming back to the Lord. Coming back to that place where we uphold his word as the thing that we're going to use to live our lives. So it's not a physical place. It's not so much a people, although that's what we want to create in this place. We want to make this a place where people who go out can come back without being judged, without being criticized. You have to be mindful of that. We have to be mindful of that lest you forget that one day when you fall, the way you judge people is the way you'll be judged. And grace is not earned, it's given. And it's been given to you, so who are you to withhold it? So you have to be mindful of the fact that we have to create a place, and not only a place physically, but a place in your heart where forgiveness is something where, where we're able to dispense that grace. And that, you know, like I told you, I can't, my, my wife is right here, I can't do no wrong with my mom. I have a smoking gun. And she'll be like, nope, that wasn't my son. <laughs> She can, I'm telling you, she can catch me with a needle in my arm. She says, no, what, what are you doing? Come on. <laughs> that's what my mom has done, and that's just me. That's my personal story. You have your own personal experience, and some of you are probably you know, hurting right now, but remember how your mom covered you up, how your mother went to bat for you. Well, Jesus has gone to bat for us, a place called Calvary didn't go halfway, didn't think about it and said, man, you are not worth it, Gus. I am not going up that hill for you. <laughs> he saw me better than I see myself. See, the potential in me when I surrender to God, what he can do with a person who says yes to Jesus Christ, that's what he sees. So when he looks at me now, he doesn't see that messed up, twisted up young man. He sees Jesus. Because it's the blood of Jesus that comes upon you when you say yes to Jesus Christ. And in doing so, now all of a sudden I get grafted in, I get adopted. Now I call him father. And although my biological father wasn't the best, I got a father in heaven who is far greater than anything. So because of that, I'm able to come in and I'm able to, to be reminded, listen, that there are days in your life where you're going to feel like you don't want to do this anymore. Days where you don't want to get up, you don't want to go to work. You look at your wife or your husband and you're like, damn, Gina. What's up? You know? <laughs> you're like, you know, really? 
But if you were just to stop for a moment and think, grace is not earned, it is given. Yes. It's not earned, it's shown to me by God. I didn't deserve it, I messed up, I did it, I was the one. And I could be better, but I don't know how to be better on my own. I need the love of God, I need the Holy Spirit within me. I need to constantly hold this in front of me as a constant reminder of what I'm supposed to be doing. And this parable here is about a believer because immediately when he came to his senses, he says, I've sinned against heaven. So he had knowledge of the truth. I asked a question the other day in class, and I said, does everybody in this room know the difference between right and wrong? Because, you know, when you do that, everybody wants to shoot up their hands. I said, no, 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 no. I don't want an answer just want you to simmer with that for a moment because you know the difference between right and wrong. So in the midst of this series that we've been talking about, how you own it, how you don't run from God, you run to God, how you come home and you don't stay alone, that grace has not earned, it is given. It's not a license, it's not an encouragement, it's not a get out of jail free card that we're giving you. We're simply saying if that moment comes, when that moment may happen, that you don't stay out there longer than you need to. But you come home, as this young man did. Because God is always waiting for us with open arms. For me, it's always been that. I, I, because I've experienced this every time I talk to somebody who I haven't seen for a while, I always tell them, just come home. I say, Pastor, but you don't know what I've done. I said, well, there's nothing new under the sun. Shock me. And I did this, 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 and that. I said, well, Samson did that. David did that. Solomon did that. Oh, yeah, they did. I said, I told you to read your Bible. <laughs> You're not the only one. But those who continue that way, those who stay out there longer than they need to, oh, man. The things that begin to happen to us. This young man found himself pigs. Nobody would give him anything. Isn't it like that? Like you go out, you hang out with everybody, you're partying, everybody's having a good time. All of a sudden, the money starts running low. <laughs> The friends start moving away slow, <laughs> right? All of a sudden, you find yourself in a position, you're looking around, and, and no one's giving you anything. This young man found himself there. He found himself in a position, in a situation where he didn't think it was going to happen. Because sin is like that. Sin paints a beautiful picture, advertises really good, and then pulls the rug out from under you. So we don't want to encourage anyone to live so close to the edge that when they fall, they fall into it. But we also want to remind you that there is this, this place. This place, it's the bosom of our Father that we can lean our head on. As the team makes its way up, I wanted to read something. Because a parable, it's not a, it's not a story. It's my story. It's, it's your story. This parable, it's not just a story that's there. It's there to help us and remind us of where we could get to 
and how important it is for us to be able to come to the Lord. Amen? Let me read this as we close. Vanessa was in her 20s when she left the church and started working in the clubs of Los Angeles. That's when she got pregnant. Her boyfriend didn't want a baby, and her friends urged her to abort. Afraid of being rejected by her old church family, and in fear of what her family might say, she felt like she had no one to turn to for advice or support. She was feeling isolated, alone, confused, and condemned by everyone, including her conscience. I thought my only two options were abortion or taking my own life, she said. In the need of clarity, she went to one of her favorite places, the Santa Monica Pier. She was walking around. She saw a group of Christians sharing their faith. She had stopped to listen to the gospel presentation. I didn't feel judged or condemned, she said. Instead, she felt informed, her head cleared, and she knew she needed to repent of her sins and give her baby a chance at life. When I told my friends I was going to keep the baby, they hated me for it. They said such awful things. The world only loves you when you're doing what it wants you to do. I went back to my church, and they embraced me, loved me and even threw me a baby shower to support me. I felt loved, forgiven, and accepted. My son was born on March of 2012. Vanessa is now in college, majoring in worship ministry, working full-time in a nonprofit, and of course, is a full-time mommy for her precious son. You see, Vanessa messed up. She pursued that which she believed would bring her pleasure and satisfaction. And it may have for a moment. But when the euphoria of it lifted, it left her feeling empty and unsatisfied. But someone shared the good news with her. Someone presented the gospel in a way that reminded her how much God loved her. And the life that God had for her was far better than where she found herself. And Vanessa came home and experienced the grace of God through a community of believers who themselves had experienced grace. Every person in this room has experienced grace. You did it. You're guilty. It was you who went out. It was you who picked up. It was you who stole, lied, and cheated. There's nobody else. But along comes this Jewish carpenter. He straps on this cross and he goes up this hill. And as he's climbing up this hill, he's bleeding, bleeding profusely and in pain, excruciating pain. And he's rehearsing his line. 
as he's going up, he's rehearsing his line. He can't wait to get up there and say, it is finished. See, and that's where you have to understand that because it is finished, grace flows to you and me. You don't have to work for it. You can't undo it. You can't resolve it. All you can do is receive it. And maybe you're in this room today and you, you feel like this prodigal son. Man, I messed up. Pastor, if you knew what I did, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be talking to me right now. It's funny, but you walked into a church and you're sitting here. You're among people who have been showered with grace. You're listening to a message about grace. So if you're here and you feel like, I've messed up so often, I don't know. I'm here to tell you, won't you join a group of mess-ups? Won't you just allow Christ to kind of wipe the slate clean? And it's simple. I mean, you, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to climb on the stage. All you got to do is say yes to Jesus Christ right where you're sitting. All you got to do is raise your hand and say, I want Jesus in my life. That's it. So I'm going to give you a few minutes to kind of think this over. And I also just want to encourage the mothers who are in this room. Don't stop. Don't stop nagging us. Don't stop talking to us. Don't stop reminding us to fix our bed and straighten up and watch your mouth and eat your vegetables. Don't stop doing that. Get in our faces. My mother is 74 years old and I was scolding her and she said, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute, I'm the mother, you're the son. If I want to have a sip of wine, I have a sip of wine. And I'm like, Ma, you can't do that. You see, there's something special about you being a mother. And there's love, this love that God pours out on us. He's poured it on you right now, this moment, in this room right now, you sitting in your seat. You're the one who walked into this place feeling a type of way, and you're saying, man, I'm just going to go to church. Why do you come to church? Because I want to feel better about what I'm going through. But I just don't want you to feel better. I want you to leave here with Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus Christ, man, right where you are, I just want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you. I want to jump off the stage and give you the biggest hug ever. Because you need it. And I need it. I need to be reminded that therefore the grace of God at any given moment, it could be me. So everybody, let's just bow our heads for a moment. Oh, glory be to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You are so precious, oh Lord. Father, right now in this moment that you have ordained, there's someone here in this room that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. 
Lord, I pray that they would be moved not to look left or right, but just to focus on you. If that's you right now, I just need you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Amen, brother. Praise the Lord. Amen, sister. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 